0: Hello and welcome to the Wheel of Crime podcast. This podcast is ran by two people who play games, mumble profanities, and laugh way too often. Also, this podcast does cover topics of sensitive nature, and as such, listener discretion is advised. Hello everyone and welcome back to the Wheel of Crime podcast my name is Jen and my name is Emily also could be known as the wheel of the shit show for how this last (laughs) month has been going Um, oh my god (laughs) but yes welcome back everybody it has been a long and rigorous and rough uphill challenge to get back here for some reason (laughs) literally for no reason but we're here now, and that's all that matters. Oh boy. January? Not my month. I will uh, just just say that. And uh, yeah, it was, wow. I cannot even believe how horribly the year started. <laughs> yeah, especially for you. Um, I definitely think you should give some little tidbits to our listeners about what exactly happened to you, because I, I still think about it. And it leaves me gobsmacked because I'm like, I cannot believe that one person went through so much in like such a short amount of time. And it's not even like, like, it, like, we're just cresting into February. Like, like, it's like the second month of 12. Like, life cannot be this hard. Yeah. So, um, hello for everyone who doesn't know. We took our regular December hiatus for, for the holiday season, and we were all ready to go to start recording afterwards and get get back on schedule, new year, new me, you know. Honestly, the first few days of the new year were great. I was, like, living my life, like, in my new routine, like, doing things. And then January 7th, everything went to shit. <laughs> Literally everything. I love that you've marked down to to the day. Oh boy, it was a day. That's how I remember. (laughs) (laughs) Um. So yeah, basically, January seventh, I it was a Saturday, and I went for a massage. Like I was feeling good, and then me and my partner were like, "Let's go to an afternoon movie. We haven't done that in a long time." Like. Fuck it. Let's go. So we decided to go see I Want to Dance with Somebody, the Whitney Houston biopic. We got out of the movie. Honestly, the movie was not very good either, so that was just a cherry on top. Um, But we got out of the movie, and we got a call that our apartment had flooded. So we raced home, and what had happened was we shared- we lived in a condo, so we shared a wall with our neighbors, and- These two dudes were, like, the fucking worst, but apparently they moved out early December, which we kind of figured because we hadn't heard from them in a while, and they were the kind of people who you hear from on that daily because of how annoying they were, and uh, we hadn't heard from them in a while, so we're like, sweet, they're fucking gone. That's amazing news for us, and it, it wasn't amazing news for us because they turned off the heat and left, and... I don't know where you guys live, but we live in Alberta. The weather here fluctuates constantly. Winters, they're cold. So, it was minus, like, what, 30 or 40 for oh, a yeah. while here? hmm And so, the pipes froze in their unit because they turned off the heat, which was awesome. And then it started warming up early January. And um, basically, because it was a really warm day, the, the pipes burst and... Their apartment will have like a good couple inches of water and it like seeped right into ours and we got there and the flood guys were already there working and basically were coming into our unit to see how much damage there was. They started ripping up the floorboards and discovered a little, well not a little, a giant uh, forest of black mold. Which was so awesome for us. The dark forest. The um, (laughs) the dark forest. (laughs) Literally. Which just opened up a whole fucking can of worms, as I'm sure you can all imagine. And basically, it was like, they were going to fix it and it was going to be fine. And it was this whole saga of like, we thought we were going to be able to just stay there and they were going to remove the mold and might be inconvenienced for like a week or two, but it would be fine until they discovered there was asbestos in the walls and then it became Mm. an even bigger thing and then they realized that the type of black mold was like the really toxic kind and it wasn't just in that wall it was everywhere so we basically had to move and it was mid-month and we were scrambling to find somewhere to live which was not awesome for us And uh, I I don't know if anyone has tried finding a new apartment in the middle of the month in January, but it's not easy because no one wants to move in the winter here. And mid-month, a lot of the good places are already taken. So we started looking everywhere. Like there's an area, I live in Calgary, by the way. There's a new area in town called Homestead and it's literally... On the other side of Stony, past the airport, if anyone knows Calgary, in the middle of literally fucking nowhere, and there was this crazy fog. These like while we were hunting for apartments, and um, so we were driving this like really thick fog. It was six p.m. and dark, and. My partner John almost hit a concrete barrier that was just left in the middle of this gravel road we were driving on, past all this oh, farmland. Weird. And I was like, "We're gonna get murdered in the homestead." <laughs> and you know, half the places we looked at, we 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 made different names for them. I was telling Emily about this. Uh, one was coined the Suicide Suite because it had no mm-hmm. windows. Yep, exactly. Um, we also saw the crack den for bedbugs you know that was awesome Mm -hmm, um mm -hmm. well the bedbugs need to go somewhere to smoke crack where else would they go it's true it's true we saw so many awesome places it was it was great our options endless you know but um (laughs) we we did find a place and it is not a crack den for bedbugs i hope um (laughs) it has yet to be discovered but for now it is fine it it's brand new, so it better not be. Um, but but yeah, basically, we ended up like we were very northwest, and now we we're very southeast. So I feel like I am in the middle of nowhere, even though it is a well-established community over here. It just mm-hmm. like I'm freaked out by the south. So anyone who lives in Calgary, just know that um, I'm afraid. I'm afraid. I'm afraid. uh the end. <laughs> <laughs> the end. And then, yeah, we moved and, of course, it was beautiful the weekend before I moved and it is beautiful this weekend. But last weekend when we've moved all of our stuff, blizzard, of mm. course. Because uh-huh. what else? What else? What else? Also, my... I, there was, like, so many things that happened this month aside from all my apartment drama. Literally, my doctor's office had the wrong number for me and they called to confirm my appointment and some random person just canceled it. So that was fun. Uh, The union that I work for lost my RSP money. My car transmission thing (laughs) was a thing. I had to go get it serviced the other day. And then to the cherry on top, the final day of the month when we're doing the walkthrough at our old moldy apartment, the lady who is a real estate agent who was like managing our condo had the goal to tell me that my health symptoms from the mold were psychosymptomatic and I I almost went to jail for assaulting this woman. Not actually, but it it literally crossed my mind. I've never been so mad because I'm like, I have been through so much this month and you... <laughs> dare tell me my symptoms were psychosymptomatic. Okay, lady. Yeah. Well, she's like, uh, oh, I understand that, like, you've literally got mold in your flows, mold in your walls, mold in your clothes. But honestly, like, any illness that you have with, like, being hard to breathe is a you problem. That has nothing to do with, like, the bajillion mold spores that are in the air. I just... I was shaking I was genuinely shaking with anger and uh, I feel like it takes a lot to rile me up and that is probably the most mad I've ever been in a single moment because (laughs) I was like I genuinely have been through so much in 31 days that I cannot believe you're not even the slightest bit sympathetic you're just like you're a fucking liar. That's all. Right. Go fuck yourself. <laughs> Evil woman. Like I, like I uh, was saying, you're definitely uh, a very patient person normally. <laughs> so I am not surprised that you were like, it's time to throw hands. I'm <laughs> going to jail. But hey, if you went to jail for that, I would 100% bail you out. Bail you out or visit you. I would do what I could. I'd be like she's she's good this is like her first offense it'll never happen again i promise (laughs) she's had a rough month maybe we should give her a pass actually yeah she should probably just stay in there forever (laughs) oh my god but yeah no uh and for our listeners uh i've been hearing kind of like about all of these like chaos like on and off again since january 7th (laughs) and every day i'm like i cannot believe you've you are currently living through this much, which I can only hope it means that, like, so many good things are going to happen this year. Like, I'm really manifesting it for you. Oh, man. I, um, you know what the funniest thing is that I realized the other day? Mm-hmm. So, you know how some people are really superstitious, right? And, yep. like, there's certain things that, like, you know, oh, if you break a mirror, you're going to have bad luck or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. Well... There's one about salt where if you spill salt and you don't throw it over your shoulder it's bad luck, right? Yeah. I am not a superstitious person, okay? Let's just put that out there. <laughs> but the morning, January 7th, I came home from my massage, I was cooking breakfast, and I was I have a salt shaker that like you grind or whatever, mm-hmm. and it like twisted open and salt spilled everywhere. Mm-hmm. I didn't throw sh- salt over my shoulder because I'm not a superstitious person. And that was the morning that everything went down. Hmm. Which I I think is so weird. Yeah. Well, and like, uh, so one side of my family is of the superstitious variety. Uh, I was always told that if you didn't throw the salt over your shoulder, that meant the devil was going to follow you. And the point was to throw the salt in his eyes so that he couldn't follow you. (laughs) Oh, boy. And, And like, literally, it got to a point where I think... It was January 30th, I texted Emily, and I was like, so, tell me about curses. Like, what <laughs> <laughs> What do I need to know? Do I just Google, like, have I been hexed, and also, how do I not become hexed anymore? Like, I'm genuinely exploring every path now, because it just feels like too much and too short a period for my liking. Yep. Jen's like, I'm a believer. S.O.S. Help. (laughs) Genuinely, never believed in curses before in my life. And I started Googling, how do I get rid of a curse? How do I know if I've been cursed? Curses 101. Curses 101. Curses for dummies. (laughs) Literally. Literally, that's that's where I'm at. (laughs) WikiHow 10 steps to remove a curse. (laughs) Genuinely. And now I'm just- on edge. <laughs> like, I'm, like, waiting for the next thing. All my plants are dead because of the cold when we were moving. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> we're having a great time over here. I can only imagine. And, like, like I said, like, I am sending whatever vibes you need your way. Because you clearly need it. And, um, yeah. I, uh, I just, that's so much. My month has been significantly better in comparison uh, not great for some things, but like doesn't even get begin to compare. I genuinely don't think I've ever had a worse month in my life. <laughs> I can believe that. Um, But I guess we might as well get into what we're act- what we're all here for today, uh, which is <laughs> yes. uh, wheelie and crimey stories. Um, So, with that, should I get into the wheel of questions here for you? Yes, spin away. All right. Have you ever, uh, okay, I know the answer to this, but have (laughs) you ever thought about moving in with someone right after meeting slash first starting dating them? Honestly, no. I figured. (laughs) You're not an, an impulsive girly like that. (laughs) i'm like impulsive for different things but like living arrangements not bad but yeah i'm like (laughs) so like with me anyways like i know people who do who where they get like get into a relationship with somebody and they're like let's haul ass into this place together i'll do your dishes for you or whatever i am a creature of routine and even if i'm like seeing somebody or like thinking back to like when i was on the dating scene for me it was always like I still need that time and space where, like, I already have a life and a routine to sink into without letting, like, my relationship start to control all of my aspects. Yeah. It's allowed to do that, like, maybe, like, a year or two into the relationship. Agreed. I feel like I, yeah, I I wouldn't move in with someone, like, a week after we first started dating. I, yeah. I need I need to know them a little bit better before we get there. Well, and the thing too is like, I think it also really depends on vibes per se. Mm -hmm. Like say you start to date somebody and you immediately click and you have a lot of like different types of history and maybe you guys are very like similar in a lot of ways and you spend a lot of time together already. Maybe. I feel like maybe it would be different if you were friends for a long time first and then you started dating and you're like... This is the natural progression and you feel like you know that person and you're ready. I could see it, but like a random mm-hmm. stranger whom you just met, uh, not for me. Yeah, hard pass. Hard pass on that one. <laughs> yes. Let's spin for our next question. Do you think that people are their parents inevitably? Like, like, you become more like your parents as you get older? Yeah, like, do you think that people's parents have, like, a real effect on their, like, who they're inevitably, inevitably going to become? Like, you know, I am inevitably going to be a version of both of my parents. I think, like, like, are you talking, like, just the role? Or are you talking, like, biological parents? Not necessarily biological parents. I'm thinking, like, whoever raised you, you know, like, because Mm -hmm. they, you know, for example, I think that people do inevitably become kind of like their parents, at least in some ways. Either they become like their parents because they retain those things that they were taught growing up, or they don't become like their parents almost in spite of what their parents did to them growing up. See, but I have, I'm, I'm with you for the most part, but I have a slight, slight difference. So, uh, to, to preface with my answer to your question, um, I would say that, yes, I do believe that, um, you, if like whoever raised you, that you will ultimately one day become similar to them. Because I think that children especially unconsciously pick up on all different types of things like how to manage an argument, how to manage stress, how to manage your emotions and feelings, how to interact with other people. I think that a lot of that stuff is unconsciously or consciously learned throughout life, whether or not you mean to or not. So then as you progress into being an adult who you now are an adult at the same paces your own parents who are also adults at that point um there will be a lot of things that are really similar whether it be how you laugh your sense of humor um all these different things because whether you meant to or not we do pick up these things uh depending on just different living factors and it usually comes from your parents um i don't necessarily think that there is a direct biological tie just generally whoever your guardian was at raising you would be um, there, and then would, like, have an impact, and then, um, what was the last thing you said when you answered, when you, like, uh, explained your question? That they won't become, like, their parents, almost in spite. Okay, so with that one, I have, I'm just saying this based off of people that I know who do have really, like, distant, rocky relationships with their parents and have tried their best to, like, not associate with them. They still, at the end of the day, have some things that they do that are like their parents. And when it's acknowledged. It, it Like they're still angry and spiteful about it. But it's almost unavoidable. Because that learning pattern was already set. Yeah. I would agree. But I think people can.
1: You know, Consciously like, change if things if you're, for sure.
0: Yeah. Like if your parents were shitty and abusive to you. I don't think that necessarily means that you have to be shitty and abusive to your kids. I think people can, like, veer off the path. But I think it takes conscious effort, especially in traumatic situations. Absolutely. And, like, there's going to be things, too, where, like, you might not necessarily know that, like, how you're responding to something is something that you learned by watching your parents until way later on anyways. Even if you had a a bad relationship with them. But that's when you consciously Mm -hmm. check in and you say, hey... The way I'm doing this is how my mother treated me, and this is why I don't have a relationship with her today. I'm going to actively not act like this. Because even though I might not realize in the moment what's happening, I am now acknowledging that it is happening. Yeah. I would agree. Yeah, I would agree with what you're saying. Yeah, that's, that's all I got. <laughs> that was my <laughs> insightfulness for the day. The rest is going to be hot garbage. So let's move <laughs> Perfect. Amazing. So let's uh, move on to our last question. Wait. Is this... Two more. No, it's our... We got two more questions. This is our third one. Yeah. All right. Let's spin. All right. Give it to me. This one's an easier question. hmm What are your plans for Valentine's Day? Since that is <sighs> going to be coming up very soon. Yeah. Uh t- to be honest probably not a whole lot. Um I feel boring because Valentine's day is kind of a weird thing for me where I'm like you know I understand that you're like oh I should do things with like the love of fan life cuz I love them and it's a day for love. <laughs> <laughs> yeah totally but like also though like uh, if you are somebody who's been with somebody for a long time like i've been with like andrew for example for seven years you know like we're coming up being married for two and like we already hang out a lot and do other things i don't honestly know if we're really gonna do anything special for valentine's that's like fair. maybe set some time aside to like watch a movie together or something. But like that really isn't any different than like how he would do other date nights or anything. It's not like he's gonna take me out on a boat somewhere and be like, When the moon hits your eye and like feed me some wine. I really don't think that's happening. <laughs> but I would love if it did. I need I don't that know to if happen. I would, though. I would be <laughs> like I think you've actually <laughs> lost your whole mind. <laughs> That's what would make it so funny. You guys can row it on the the lake <laughs> while it's covered in ice. Yeah, yeah you just he just puts like the the boat on a quad and like just takes it over and be like, mm, yes, just ignore the motor, honey. This is super it's romantic. Romantic, <laughs> yeah. The ambiance. It's just beautiful. Um, You know, I'd be like, okay, 100% you have been kidnapped and replaced with an alien. Cool. Um, Not sure if I want to find that out this Valentine's Day, but we're here. This is what's happening. I guess this is where we're at now. This is my life now, I guess. Um, But yeah, what about uh, you and John? I, I know that you guys have like some things that you do like pretty consistently over the holidays, but I don't honestly remember what you guys do for Valentine's Day. Honestly, we usually just go for dinner and then go to a movie. So we will be wait, doing Heart that. shaped, heart shaped pizza. You guys do heart shaped pizza every year. We used to, and then in 2019, uh, we had a really there was bad. There's a little experience. thing called the pandemic. <laughs> well, no, this was before the pandemic. So my car had been vandalized twice, oh, and I so it was in this. the shop. And I didn't have a vehicle. And he didn't have a vehicle because he was in school at the time. So we were going to go see a movie, but we had to take the train down there because I didn't have my vehicle back until I think the next day or something. And um, so we went to Boston Pizza to get our heart-shaped pizza because that was like our little tradition, right? Yeah. And it was... Awful. Like, it was just such a bad experience. Like, we waited for, I think, three hours to get in. And then we got sat down. And then we waited another hour and a half to get our pizza. And then by that time, we were going to miss the last movie. So we got it to go. And we were just like eating them on the train. (laughs) And like, we were like, how does it take four and a half hours to get a pizza at a Boston pizza? Like, I don't understand. So weird. There's been some weird experiences, though, I've had specifically at Boston Pizza over the years. It it kind of gives me a little bit of a squint. I'm like, do I like the food? Yes. But do I like it enough? (laughs) No. (laughs) No. Well, that sucks because I was remembering how uh, a couple years back um, I had came over for the weekend. And I think it was like uh, Valentine's Day was going to be like the Sunday or something. You were like, do you want to go get some pizza? And I was like, yeah. But that was like, I think three years ago or something. Maybe longer than that, Mm. actually. I think it might have been longer than that. But yeah, so we haven't done it since 2019 because then 2020 was a pandemic. So I think we ordered something in. And then last year we went to just like a different restaurant, like Mm -hmm. downtown. And then this year I think we're going to go somewhere fun too. Try and like going to try out some cool new spots in calgary nice sounds like fun (laughs) yes very fun but yeah that's our plans we're going for dinner and watch a movie which is no different than what we do like every week but it's fun because it's for an occasion i guess yeah. See, I like Valentine's Day not necessarily for myself, as cute as I know it's supposed to be. Um, I actually just like going on social media and being snoopy about what other people are doing for Valentine's Day. Because some people really get into it. And I'm like, man, they do. look at these guys go. They do. They do. Yeah. Some people are very into Valentine's Day, which good for them, honestly. I never yeah. turned down flowers and chocolates. Yeah. I turn down flowers sometimes, but that's only because I'm trying to be a good cat mom. But that's a different thing. <laughs> I don't have that problem, so I don't turn down flowers. See? There you go. Some, some to look forward to. Exactly. All right, let's spin for our last question. Okay. Or was that the last question? No, uh, one more. I think I've got number dyslexia. <laughs> I don't know what that's called right now in the second, but I think I have it. <laughs> Alright, what's the last question? Who is your Valentine this year? Mm. Mine is my bird, Appa, because she's a bird. That mm. is the reasoning. I'm gonna make my Valentine this year, not my husband, because fuck him. Um, he, I'm gonna make my Valentine, my little kitty Clover, because she's been very sweet lately. She goes through phases where, like, she's normally the demon child of the house and Fig is, like, the <laughs> angel boy. Um, mm-hmm. But she went through, like, a weird phase where now she has, like, gratitude for me, which is interesting. Aww. So, like, yeah. Well, it's weird because, um, so normally how the the house dynamics are, are when I'm working from home, like, during the day. Uh, Fig and Clover will spend time together because, like, they're besties and they'll play together and nap together and eat together because it's fun for them and I'm busy doing other things. Um, Mm -hmm. But recently I noticed that Fig has taken to napping in, like, his own little cuddly spot in a different part of the room and, like, I couldn't see Clover anywhere and I was like, oh, weird, I wonder where she is. And then eventually Mm -hmm. I started noticing that um, it's because she's always around me, but she's, like, hiding almost. So, like... Um if I am having a shower in the morning, she is like hiding beside the shower waiting for me to get out of the shower or um if I am having coffee and sitting at the the kitchen table, she is under the table, sitting under my chair waiting for me to be done drinking my coffee. When I'm working during Cute. the day, she's she's curled up on the couch just out of eyesight from me, but, like, watching me work and just is spending time with me. And that's been, like, all day, every day for the last couple of weeks. Oh, I love that for you. What a sweet little angel. I know. And then, like, uh, Andrew's been trying to get a video of it, but lately, too, um, like, for sure, the last, like, four or five days. Uh, she does mm-hmm. this thing now where, like, when I wake up in the morning, the first thing I do is I usually reach over to grab my water bottle And as soon as she hears like the little ting of me opening the water bottle... She'll like jump up onto the bed and go, and just like start talking. And she's just like so excited to see me. And then she comes over and she starts rubbing all over my face and like digging her little claws into my neck. And I'm like, "Ah, I've never felt so loved in my life. This is the best wake up alarm. Oh, that's so cute. So stinking cute. And then of course, like Fig will come by later on and he'll be like, hey, it's morning. And I'm like, mm-hmm. It sure yeah, I already is. already had my alarm. Yeah, right? He's more like, so, like, when is breakfast? Like, like he's got different priorities. Uh, Clover's like, I want snugs, and then I'll leave you alone. And Fig is like, nah, it's tuna time. Like, immediately. <laughs> I am hungry. Let's fix that for me. Right? And I'm like, you know what? This is fine. This is my life. <laughs> Fair, fair. Well, right. right. I love that for us. A bird and a cat are our valentines. You heard it here first. Yeah. Um. So then, I'm trying to think about what I can guess your story to be. Uh, you have mentioned Valentine's Day. It might be like a one to do with Valentine's Day. Um, and I'm gonna assume that somebody murders somebody, and then they blame it on how their parents raised them. Is good. Gonna- my theory for your story you're not that far off Mm -hmm. oh and is it like a a a murder out of passion or like a crime of passion or whatever it's called (laughs) um i guess it depends what your passions in life are
1: Mm. (laughs) i have no (laughs) idea what we're talking about today
0: (laughs) okay he sounds good well i'm ready whenever you are i have no idea what we're getting into so i'm expecting great things Yes, today we're talking about a man named Paul Dyson because, of course, we're talking about a man. Mm-hmm. When are we not talking about <laughs> men and crimes? Because when is it ever anybody else? I mean, yeah, of course, it is uh, sometimes people <laughs> who aren't men, but, like, <gasps> okay. <laughs> but, like, most of the time it's a man. <laughs> but, like, I am squinting a little bit and I am suspicious. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> well, our dude Paul was born in Hull, East Yorkshire, England, in august 1974 to his parents christine and peter dyson he had one younger sister and a half brother paul was educated at sydney smith comprehensive school until he was 16 he attended Hull college where he obtained a diploma in civil engineering and later bishop burton agricultural college where he obtained a national diploma in horticulture At 15, he was introduced through his father to martial art expert Colin Allen. He trained Paul to brown belt standard. And in 1995, Paul was a reserve for the British team in the World Kickboxing Championships. This planted the seeds for Paul's life passion of kickboxing. And he later became equally keen on bodybuilding. He began to use antibiotic... or anabolic steroids, injecting them straight into his system. Paul had a circle of acquaintances and a handful of close friends, but everyone knew Paul to be a bit of a bully. I'm picking up the vibes. I gotcha. <laughs> yes. So, Paul was very close to his father, and when his dad died in June of 2000, he was devastated. Now, Paul's dad, Peter, had a bit of a checkered past and I feel like his father's example may have played a part in what happens later. So I'm just going to give you a quick rundown of Peter's rap sheet. So Peter was convicted of manslaughter in 1967 and spent six years in prison. When Paul's dad Peter was 22, he stabbed John Dickinson with a kitchen knife during a fight over John's friendship with Peter's wife Christine. The fight took place at night in a narrow passageway in Barnsley. In a separate incident, his father also was involved in a road incident which left 47 year old Gordon Kell dead. Gordon was on his way home after celebrating his 25th wedding anniversary with his wife and family when he was in an accident with a van being driven by Peter and Peter didn't serve any time for that. He got off scot-free. Hmm. Okay, so his dad murdered two people. So that's a great start. Apparently super casually, which is, uh, (laughs) yeah, a really great, not so great start. Awesome example he's setting for his son. We love that. Um and like I mentioned earlier, Paul was pretty significantly influenced by his dad in more ways than one. For example, his dad Peter had worked as a doorman in Hull's city centre pubs, and as soon would later follow in his occupational footsteps. At seventeen, he spent several months in Saudi Arabia with his father working in general maintenance. Um, he also worked as a gardener for some time and as a mechanist for M and K Pine of Hull. On December 2nd, 2004, he started working for Bayram Timber in Suttermine Road as a crosscut operative. Paul fancied himself as a ladies' man who would use his position on nightclub doors to chat up the women who came into the venues. He is remembered by his colleagues as mouthy and loud and would spend much of his time talking about his athletic prowess and his physique. Paul had several serious relationships in his adult life, and in 1993, he met Carrie Thompson while they were both attending Bishop Burton Agricultural College. Their relationship was quite toxic, and Carrie ended up calling the police on him. She told the police how during arguments, he would pace up and down, hitting walls and grabbing her to stop her from leaving. So, not a great vibe. So, an abusive jerk-off. Gotcha. Allegedly, yes. <laughs> An allegedly abusive Jurikov. Okay, okay. Mm-hmm. So in June 1999, Paul met Jenny Marie Clark and proposed after two weeks. But Paul, being Paul, this relationship was also quite toxic. On their wedding night, he attacked her, and he was violent on several other occasions. Once, throttling her unconscious. The couple had a daughter together named Chloe, who was born on, in October of 2000. And Jenny had this to say about Paul. He was very troubled when I when we met. I had enough after a year and a half of him. Paul and Jenny separated in 2002 and filed for a divorce later that year. And I will say that in 2000, his dad did die. Um, And I know a lot of people who were close to Paul were saying that around that time things started escalating because he was quite distraught. So Mm -hmm. the timeline of um, things makes sense to me there. Okay. I think I follow. Yes. So shortly after the divorce was final, Paul met Joanne Nelson during a night out in Hull. They dated and moved in together, but her parents insisted that they did not live together. So they moved in with Paul's mother before setting up home in the city's Cunningham district. When they got together, Joanne didn't know about Paul's drunken attacks on his first wife, history of taking steroids to help his bodybuilding and violent past of his father, whom he idolized and who was dead. So now he was really, like, kicking up how much he idolized his father, I'm sure. Right. Well, because now too, um, not saying this is necessarily the case, uh, but I did read a while back that like psychologically speaking, when people do pass away, that idolism becomes a big thing because uh, you no longer physically have that person to look at and to like um, view as being just like a human being. It, it becomes more of like a, like a, like a figure or, you know, like something like that. So I think, I think that checks out. Yeah. So, Joanne was a talented sportswoman who was good at netball, rounders, and swimming. She had been accepted by voluntary service overseas to work in Ghana. She had also spent some time training to be a nurse, but she found it too emotional to continue. She would return from the hospital sobbing at the plight of sick patients. However, the time Joanne and Paul met, she later took up a role at Job Center in Hull, and her colleagues said that she would go out of her way to do things for people. Joanne was said to be a beautiful young woman who had a bright and bubbly personality. Her family said she was passionate and the loving young woman who lived for her family. Joanne was her family's darling, the most popular girl in her circle of friends, and a woman with everything to live for. She longed for a family of her own someday and thought Paul would be the one to help her fulfill those dreams. The couple got engaged and were planning their wedding for October 2006. And Joanne was also quite involved with Paul's daughter that he had with um, Jenny. Hmm. Well, I mean, she sounds like a really nice, busy lady and probably not to be with somebody who (laughs) does not hold the same ideals and opinions but I feel like she was way out of Paul's league so I don't know okay absolutely mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That, that was my first thought and I was like uh do I like make it sound like a little more delicate uh but then you kept <laughs> saying was so I'm like okay so this man's is definitely killing her so I would say she's like miles continents worlds out of his league universes out of his league I would agree So tensions began to surface between the couple over his untidiness and her more ambitious outlook on life. While he held a number of low-paid jobs and had his daughter to support, she was progressing in her career and talked of traveling the world. Everything kind of came to a head on February 14th, 2005. Valentine's Day. Of course. It all is coming (laughs) together now. (laughs) Joanne and Paul were not having a typical lovey-dovey Valentine's Day. Joanne was a bit fed up with Paul on that day and she was busy cleaning up their house. She asked Paul to help tidy up the, and he failed to do so. This caused an argument between the couple and it ended violently. Paul ended up strangling Joanne to death after an argument about the laundry on her kitchen floor. Good God, if Kate, literally, this isn't even the first time you've told me something where, like, a man kills his wife because she's asking for help with the chores. Literally, talk about one of the most infuriating things I've ever heard in my life. How dare you, number one, not clean up after yourself, and then number two, kill me for it. Right? Like, haven't you done enough (laughs) or not done enough? Absolutely. It's the not having done enough and then doing too much in a different area. Yeah, I don't want to clean, so I'm going to kill you instead. Fuck off, (laughs) idiot. He's the worst. He's just the worst. Sounds like a garbage 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 yes so closed circuit tv footage filmed at the corner store across the road from their home in hotham road north showed him calmly buying garbage bags wrapper gloves and disinfectant spray he then drove to his mother's and collected a garden fork in order to bury her body and afterwards he drove from Hull to howden to fill the car with gas he then returned home and wrapped her body in the garbage bags and carried her into her car in broad daylight before driving 75 miles away to a remote woodland area near Hovingham in North Yorkshire. When he arrived, he carried her body around 250 yards until he found a concealed dip in the pine trees to dump her body. He then returned to their home and began his elaborate cover-up, getting rid of her work clothes, leaving messages on her phone, etc., etc. He reported her missing to the police that night, and in the call, he said her disappearance was completely out of character. I don't know where she went. It's a mystery. Well, he's not wrong. That it is out of character for her since, uh, <laughs> since he killed her. And she sounds so that, great. So, yeah, and, like, uh, just, oh, God, I, fuck my life. Okay. <laughs> So Paul painted an idyllic picture of what happened that day to police and her family. So this is how the day went according to Paul. They exchanged Valentine's cards, a large Winnie the Pooh, one for her, and one with a cartoon girl in the front for him. He then claimed he gave Joanne a kiss and cuddle and told her that he would see her later and went downstairs, leaving her an extra hour or so in bed before she had to go to work herself. Before he went, he left a gift bag in the front room with a surprise for Joanne. It was a ring that she had wanted that he had convinced her was too expensive because they were saving for the wedding. And when he got home, he even called Joanne's parents, Charlie and Jean, to ask if she was there. Charlie and Jean rushed to the house to help look for her and Paul pretended to be concerned and he hugged Joanne's mom, Jean, and cried with her as he promised he had not harmed Joanne. And that's the sticking point for me. The fact that he had to say, like, I didn't hurt her makes me feel like they already knew, like, kind of in the back of their heads, that intuition. (laughs) Literally... Here's the thing, though, too, because this is something that comes up all the fucking time. He's telling on himself. Mm -hmm. Literally, if you, if, here's the thing. A normal person, a normal, sane, kind person, if you have somebody go missing in your life, like, you are panicking. Because you do not know what's wrong. You do not know if they're hurt, or if they're missing, or if they're going through something. You don't know. So to be like, I promise I didn't hurt her, be fucking for real. it's like well now i think you did that is the thing like if i was uh, so for example if i was a parent right and i had a child and you know their partner's like oh my gosh they're missing like i don't know where they are and i went over there to go talk to them and they had to like assure me that they didn't hurt her i'm not fucking believing that person are you kidding me i'd be like well why are you saying that yeah like what did you do you fucking dumbass like did you hit her and then she disappeared or like what is going on (laughs) you got an explanation sir <laughs> Why would you even assume that that's what I was thinking? Mmm, right? So dumb. So fucking dumb. So dumb. So the next day, he went to work and behaved as though nothing had happened. However, Joanne's family knew that this was completely out of character and feared that something was really wrong fears really started to grow after she missed the funeral of her best friend's father a few days later and then failed to call her sister Katie on her 19th birthday. This was not something she would have normally done. So her family jumped into action right away and tried everything they could to find her. Paul joined in the door-to-door search for her and with worried family members and friends. Days after reporting her missing, Paul appeared in an emotional TV interview, appealing for help to find Joanne. On his TV appearance, he was squeezing his eyes as tight as he could in order to get out some tears and exaggerating his sobs. He clutched a photograph of her and told reporters, quote, I love her to bits. I just want her back. She is always smiling. She has not gone... Ga- She's not got a bad bone in her body. I just want to know where she is. Which feels so icky because he knows where she is. Yeah, she's in heaven, idiot. Fuck this guy. So body language expert Cliff Langsley analyzed the interview and had this to say about Paul. Quote, he is squeezing his eyes, and one of the tactics that an individual can use is to squeeze the eyes and try to create tears to try and get them to run down the cheek to support the display of sadness. He is also sniveling. He is attempting to show sadness, but we'll, but we will notice the brows have not dropped. He is not in a sad state anymore, but he is trying to continue the act of portraying. He's distressed and concerned and sad. He is clearly attempting to make himself cry or to create tears or create sounds which people might judge as sadness. Paul did not notify the police before he agreed to take part in the televised interview with a local news team. The detectives first found out about it when they saw it on TV. However, the interview provided Ray Higgins, who was the head of major incident team, at the police with a crucial piece of evidence the camera picked up a crescent shaped fingernail marks on paul's hands that had been left by joanne as she was fighting for her life so ray explained that quote in the interview there were two marks on his thumbs i knew from dealing with other previous assaults and murders that involved strangulation the first thing a victim will do is try to pull those hands away from their neck Sometimes in doing so, they can leave sort of crescent-shaped fingernail marks in the skin of the offender, and certainly in this particular case, when the news crew zoomed in on his hands, he could quite clearly see what appeared to me to be two similar crescent-shaped marks on the back of his thumbs. That was the first time I'd been aware of those marks on the back of his thumbs. As if that interview wasn't enough to really convince people of his innocence, he also invited the media into... His and Joanne's home for an emotional interview about the engagement ring he claimed to buy for her as a surprise on Valentine's Day. Because he's a piece of shit. At this
1: um. point, what else
0: is new? Uh, everything I hear is just like, garbage person. Garbage person. Trashy garbage, <laughs> garbage person. Yeah. So, as I mentioned earlier, Paul was super passionate about martial arts, and since he was a teen and had been training with a man named Colin Allen ever since. Paul and Colin were quite close at the time of Joanne's murder and Colin was someone Paul thought he could trust. His bond with Colin was uh, demonstrated when Paul chose to confide in him about Joanne's murder in the days after the crime. Colin wrestled with the knowledge before telling Paul's mother who eventually told the police of his admission. The police obviously arrested Paul just less than a week after Joanne's disappearance. And for nine months, he refused to accept that he had deliberately caused her death. Police were, however, able to tease out enough material from him in order to search the woodland paths, get it off from the country road with a pile of bottles nearby. He claimed that he could not remember where he buried her body, which sparked a massive police search. And further prolonged the agony of her family. There was a huge search involving hundreds of officers in the army. Divers even used sonar to search fish ponds. And searches all across East Yorkshire and parts of North North Yorkshire. And as far as South as Hatfield near Doncaster until her body was found six weeks later. On March 24th, 2005, Joanne's family received the news they had been dreading her body had been found. Yeah. Yeah. So he never explained in detail what happened when his temper snapped on February 14th, but at one stage he claimed to police. Joanne had said that she planned to walk out and force the sale of their 110-pound terrace house, she then goaded him, he alleged, about his lack of domestic skills, and challenged him to put a pile of clothes in the washing machine, but he was not even able to start the machine. The So, like, his whole thing is, like, he couldn't do it because he didn't even know how to turn the machine on. But, well, like, like, he also said I, that, like, she, like, his, like, if that's, like, verbatim, his verbiage is weird anyways because he's, like, to, like, like, take advantage of his, like, lack of domestic skills or some bullshit. And it's like... <laughs> Dude, this is what, what being an adult is like. Yeah, like, like, challenge you to put the fucking laundry in the laundry machine <laughs> and use the buttons to start it. This sounds like an ego thing. Like, this guy's like, I can't even do it. And now I'm going to kill you because I'm such a man. Like I said, be fucking for real. I can't. Cannot. Ugh, it's so infuriating. So the trial took a shocking twist when on the first day, November 7th, 2005, Paul pleaded guilty in front of a packed courtroom. He showed no emotion during the opening of the prosecutor's case and Paul's defense Barrister Kerry Burrell QC told the court there were no excuses for what he had done. Judge Tom Cracknell said, quote, You lost your temper and throttled Joanne Nelson, a vivacious 22-year-old woman who you professed to love. Having done so, you practiced upon her body hideous indignities. You tied her up, put her inside bin liners, bundled her into the boot of a car, and set off on a macabre and calculated journey to find a hiding place. You left her lying in a ditch. You went on TV and displayed nauseating hypocrisy. You practiced this deception upon Joanne's family, leading them to think there may be some hope when there was none. The grave dormant they went through is scarcely to be imagined. For the sentencing, however, Paul's lawyer had this to say in his defense, and this makes my blood boil almost as much as the real estate lady told me my symptoms were psychosympathetic. Quote, he made a mistake. He confided in someone with whom he thought was a close friend that would not breach his confidence. Paul Dyson told a man that he had killed Joanne. That person contacted Paul's mother and she responsibly, and you may think with some courage went to the police. It was then when confronted. When confronted with that, that he admitted to the police that he had lied. As if, like, <laughs> he is so honorable for finally telling the truth after months? Um, that's kind not even a bare minimum. Like, it's, like, almost as if, like, when you kill somebody, maybe you deserve to be punished for it. it I mean, that's, like, a thought that I have, but- I could be wrong, I guess. Because there's apparently dishonor in, like, keeping shit to yourself. What? (laughs) Like, it's like he's mad at his friend for telling on him, I'm sorry, but the friend did the right thing by telling on you, sir. Like, we're not mad at him. We're mad at you. Yeah, because... Guess who fucked up in this situation? The man it who was, was so you. butthurt about not knowing how to load a washing machine, he literally strangled somebody he says that he loves. That is what happened. You didn't understand how to load the washing machine and turn on the machine, so you strangled your fiancé to death. Make it make sense. hmm Like super cash, because apparently that's <laughs> that's the, the theme in this story. this is why every time like you share a crime story i'm like of course it has to do with like somebody men a man usually being a dickhead and then being like look at me i'm so much smarter than everybody else and i i obviously was valid in killing her because i can't do laundry and and that's who i am i'm unapologetic (laughs) i can't do laundry and she should just respect that and she didn't so i murdered her and i'm in the right somehow yeah, because like if you can't love me for me and understand that like I am incompetent, that's a you problem. If you don't love the man child that I am, you don't deserve to live. You're just dead. Literally, literally dead. It is my dead. right. It is my right to hit you because I just feel that way and like there's n- that's that's just how it is. Get over it. And you should stop yapping your woman mouth and shut the fuck up. <laughs> of course, because apparently we know nothing at it, all clearly, apparently clearly but you do know how to lo- load the washer so you should get to that instead mm, yes priorities apparently apparently but i'm gonna string on it tuesday <laughs> <laughs> tuesday i'm surprised, surprised she didn't kill him oh. first you know what that is a patient woman she's definitely in heaven <laughs> she definitely is. On Tuesday, November 8th, almost 10 months to the day he murdered Joanne, Paul was jailed for a minimum of 16 years. After the case, a close friend of Paul's said how proud Paul was of his father who had taken the lives in a stabbing and hit and run. Joanne's younger sister, Katie, said Paul idolized his father. She knows that if Joanne had known, there was no way she would have stayed with him. And after he was sentenced, a friend of Paul's also revealed that Paul reveled in his hard man image and claimed to have links with infamous gangsters Ronnie and Reggie Cray. So, he is confirmed to be the fucking worst. It's like, did I literally not say earlier that this is some fucking ego bullshit where he's like, how dare you challenge Mm -hmm. me on something that I don't know anything about that's not manly and I'm going to go so bananas over this concept of being (laughs) a capable, decent human being that I'm just going to like be a douche lord menace for everyone. 100%. That's all this is. is his ego flaming in the wind. How dare you challenge me and make me feel like I'm not a man. Ah! (laughs) Fuck you. God, I hate this man. Basically. So So Joanne's (laughs) funeral was held in April 2005 and some 200 mourners packed to crematorium. A moving tribute was given by her sister Katie who brought many of the mourners to tears. Her sister said, quote, Anyone who knew Joanne knew that she was a wonderful person. She was fun living, high on life, and bubbly. She she was always the good one, so it's hard to understand why something like this happened to her. She was my big sister, always looking out for me and taught me what was right and wrong. I didn't always take notice of her, but she was always right. In tears, she added, I miss you so much. I wish I could give you one last kiss, one last hug, but I will be kissing you and hugging you forever. Which is really sad. That is so sad. And, like, that's another thing, too. Like, always with these victim stories, especially when you can tell it's somebody who just has, like, a good heart. And they were, like, taking a chance on somebody that they really cared about. And they really thought that things could be, like different and you know like all these different things like yeah and it just really it hurts because you know that you know these kinds of people the people who are like just kind and like you can you can just tell that joanne was just so loved and such an amazing person and all these other things and it's so hard because then these people get taken out of the world by like i said douche lord mcgee who can't find it in, in himself or themselves to be a half decent person for somebody who loves them And that is shitty. It is fucking shitty. I just... (sighs) Yeah. And it gets worse. Let me just tell you. How does it get worse? Are you being serious? (laughs) So after serving just over 17 years, only one year longer than the minimum sentence, in April 2022, Paul was released from prison and is now a free man. What on earth? Who... Who let this man out of jail after he said that he was proud of his own father for killing two people and getting away with it? Seriously? Seriously. Yeah, so Paul had spent the last couple years in an open jail, which, that's a British thing, so I don't exactly know what that means. I think that's, like, more of, like, a minimum security situation. I'm pretty sure, just because I have seen that in writing before, I'm pretty sure it's, like, um... Like, you know how with our prison system, they have like closed quarters where they put serial killers and pedophiles and then they have other one, the other one. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure open is like, like you said, the minimum security, uh, common quarters type thing. I think so. I might be wrong. If but I'm I remembering so. correctly. Maybe. <laughs> I think you're right. So, yeah, he was in this open jail, and Joanne's family feared that the worst was about to happen, which it did, and prison services had confirmed that he was officially released a short time later after a, quote-unquote, vigorous process. And a spokesperson for the parole board said, quote, Parole board decisions are solely focused on what risk a prisoner could represent to public if released and whether the risk is manageable in the community. The panel carefully examines a huge range of evidence including details of the original crime and any evidence of behavior change as well as explore the harm done and impact the crime had on the victims. Members read and digest hundreds of pages of evidence and reports in lead up to the oral hearing. Evidence from witnesses, the offender in prison, as well as the victim personal statements are given at the hearing. The prisoner and witnesses are then questioned at length during the hearing, which often lasts a full day or more. Parole reviews are undertaken thoroughly and with extreme care. Protecting the public is our number one priority if protecting the public was your number one priority you wouldn't be letting people out of jail who have a history of violence towards women but that's just me personally it's not even just like joanne like if we're if we're just looking at this it was mm-hmm. two other women before that that we know of so like oh, absolutely. it's not an isolated incident right hmm. protect the so- public that's fucking funny. What's this man's full name again? Paul Dyson. Because I was going to say, uh, any of our, our ladies or people on the dating scene in uh, the UK, maybe just like if the man's name is Paul Dyson by any chance, uh, swipe left, report him, block him. <laughs> just protect yourself. Don't go on a date. Not worth the free It's cocktail. not worth it. Like, I understand, like, looking for love and wanting companionship, you can do better. I'm telling you already, like, I do not know you personally, but you are light years ahead of this man. Do not stoop this low. Yeah. So, this release was really upsetting for Joanne's family and friends, as I'm sure you can all imagine, and her sister Katie had this to say, quote, Joanne isn't getting to live the life she was owed and could... And he could do it again. The thought of him being sat in a cell thinking he is going to start his life now. We want people to be aware that he is walking the streets again. The family didn't receive any assurance that Paul could not return to Hull. And and Katie said, quote, We don't want him to come back here. But we have been told if there is an exclusion zone, we want to make sure no one in our family puts themselves in any kind of danger. You don't want to bump into the man who killed your family member. Mm-hmm. Like the fact that, like, I know, um, apparently he wasn't welcome back in Hull, but even the thought of like running into him somewhere else is just like a scary thought for someone who literally murdered your sister or your right. or your daughter or your niece. Well, it just makes me nauseous anyways, because it's like, okay, so the the public and the authorities deem this man to be safe to be around, but every time I look in his face, all I can think about is the life that's been stolen from me, you know? Yeah. and I Of somebody feel who like... should have lived a full life and didn't, because of this asshole who is still alive and can hurt other people. Yeah. And, like, I'm a firm believer that if, you know, people go to prison and they do their time and they're released, like, they deserve a second chance- Like, if they're going to be back in society, like, they deserve to be back Mm -hmm. and not... And, like, you know, at least try to reenter. But I feel like in this situation, I don't think he should be out. Like, I think he displayed constant, like, you know, he constantly did not show remorse for what he did. So I feel like there is a chance he could re-offend, in which case he should not be back out on the streets, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. And the thing too, or at least the the part that I'm beefing with, just because, you know, we do this podcast and we learn different things from different cases, um, is that more often than not, when prisoners that are men who have a history of violence towards women are released, in all the good behavior reports, they're like, oh, well, he never displayed any issues while in prison. He's said these different things or whatever. But it's like, yes, because... The violence isn't towards men. It's not towards other inmates. It's towards women specifically. And women who are in his inner circle or personally involved with him or any of that kind of stuff, which you're not going to find in a jail. No. And the fact that... So he can be on good behavior because there is no access to what triggers him in jail. Exactly. And I feel like... I don't know. It doesn't seem like he went through any rehabilitation to try and work through those issues. So mm-hmm. he's just constantly going to be faced with this thing that he can't control himself. Absolutely. Yeah. And unless like uh, he has somehow mysteriously received tons of therapy and is like, you know, upset that he used to believe that his father is like goals for killing people and getting away with it. Like there, there's a lot of work that needs to be done there. Mmm. Agreed. But that's the end of our story. Happy Valentine's Day. <laughs> <laughs> Happy Valentine's Day. Give somebody a big old kiss. <laughs> yeah, big old kiss. And think about not this. Uh <laughs> listen to the podcast and be like, damn, fuck that guy. And then be like, oh, I love you, honey, though. You're not this man. Kisses. <laughs> or make your Valentine your pet. And then you can give them all the kissings and go, <laughs> Exactly. so cute. But yes, if you enjoyed today's episode, or any of them, or us, there's options. Um, You can leave us a review on uh, wherever you listen to podcasts now. Actually, they've rehauled the whole system. But if you leave us a five star, it does help us with uh, reaching out to other listeners. So that would be greatly appreciated. And then... um, we also have an email, which is wheelofcrime at gmail.com if you want to get into contact with us and say literally anything you like. Uh, we love talking to people, obviously. Uh, <laughs> uh, and then we also have our social media, which is Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok, all at wheelofcrime if you want to check us out on there. We also have our Patreon, which is wheel of Crime at Patreon if you want to donate to the show. Our website, which is www.wheelofcrime.com if you want to look at us on there. And we also have a Google document and the google document is for uh anybody who's listened to our previous listener episodes and say you want to share something um we that is something that we're looking forward to doing more uh in the future so if you want to submit a story there and we can reintroduce another listeners episode that would be awesome and uh i think that's it for our plugins yes that's it that's all we'll see you next week for another new episode okay bye bye